the ability, the privilege of worshiping you, of exalting the name of Jesus Christ. Father, that is our goal today, is to lift your name high. And we pray for the season of Ramadan in the, in the Muslim communities around the world, Father, that, that you would impress upon them the need of their, their, the Savior, Jesus Christ that you would give them dreams of the prophet in white, that they would ask believers around the world who this man is, what, what, what does this mean? Why do I keep having this dream? And Father, we pray that Christians again around the world would just have the privilege of sharing Jesus Christ with their friends. As we look into your word, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the lessons that we can learn from it. We pray that you'd open our eyes, give us understanding. Thank you for the ones that are here safely today. Those that couldn't make it, Father, we pray that uh, they would all be able to get dug out and, and be able to get out to, to get what they need and do what they need. Uh, Father, we thank you for being here today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. And if you notice me hesitating at the end of announcements, it's because there was something else I was supposed to tell you. I just wasn't thinking of it. Uh, Don was handing out the new calendars for the month of April uh, as you were coming in. And uh, you can see our Good Friday service there. And uh, Easter uh, Sunday is just two weeks away. And we are looking forward to celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, but one, one, you'll notice it's something a little, little different at the bottom right-hand corner of your calendar. We, we, we put the, part of the first part of May on there because we wanted everybody to be aware and get it on their calendars. On May 6th, right here, it's a Saturday at 1 p.m., we are going to have a celebration of life. We're going to have a service for Jeanette Wing and... Um, the family is, is going to be able, hopefully that will give them time to um, come up from downstate. And hopefully the, this, we won't have any 15 inches of snow on Saturday like we did yesterday. <laughs> we'll, we're praying and, and we'll ask you to join us in that prayer right now. Start praying for a, a nice travel weekend that weekend uh, for the family so that they can uh, come. And, and the church is invited. There will be more on that later. Um, we're, we're just going to do a few things for the family after the service, uh, some light finger desserts. So kind of be thinking about that, but there will be more to come on that. But, um, yeah, I wanted to, I wanted to point that out um, so people can get it on their calendar, all right? If you didn't get a calendar when you came in, Don's probably got more. They're back on the, on the table back there. Open God's words with me, if you would, to the book of Acts. We're getting there. Lord willing, we'll finish chapter 16 today. There's only about 10 more chapters. I am really dry today for some reason. All right. We'll do a quick quick review of where we are in chapter 16. Right at the end of 15, remember, Paul and Barnabas were getting ready to head out on their second missionary journey. 
And there was some division, contention, downright anger. Uh, They split. And Paul took Silas with him and headed north and then west. I didn't ask you to put that map in there today, did I, Stephen? Okay. He knows. (laughs) Thank you. He knows. So we got... uh, and after 15 of Acts, we got Paul and Silas leaving from Antioch here. They're going to go north, and then they're going to come west to visit Derby and Lystra uh, at the start of their, their journey. And then uh, Barnabas took John Mark and, and went back to Cyprus to visit the, the churches that were started there uh, in their time on their first mission trip. And we know that, that uh, Barnabas and John Mark had relatives on the island, so it just kind of made sense for them to head that direction. But Satan will use whatever he can to, to uh, discourage us, to tear us down. Uh, and, and he thought he was, he was succeeding. Um, and not, not that all conflict is good, but it's not all bad necessarily. Uh, as long as we keep God at the center of it. Um, there, we're, we're, we are human. We're not all going to agree 100% on everything with each other. That's the page I need. So in uh, 16, uh, chapters beginning of 16, 1 through 5 there, we have Barnabas and, or excuse me, Paul and Silas taken off. And when they get to Lystra, they pick up somebody on their team, a young man by the name of Timothy. And then in uh, verse 6, uh, as they tried to go up to the, to the kind of the Asian territory, kind of includes like this here, but it's got some funny stuff. It looks like gerrymandering or something. Um, but um, they wanted to go there, and the Holy Spirit said no. They wanted to go north to Bithynia, up in this area. Holy Spirit said no. So they headed over to, to the coast here at Troas, waiting for directions from the Holy Spirit what to do. Verse 9, a vision appeared to Paul in the night, and a certain man of Macedonia was standing up and said, come over here. So they caught a boat from Troas and headed up to, uh, they, they landed at Neapolis and then walked up to about 10 miles up to, to uh, Philippi, where, as, as we were in, in this chapter last week, we started out saying there was going to be three, three main converts. We're, we're, I'm sure there was many others. Well, we know there was many others. But three main converts that, that we're going to talk about in this chapter. And last week we talked about Lydia, the, the woman. She was from the area of Asia, uh, but she was in the business of, of uh, dyeing uh, purple cloth or cloth dyeing it purple. Okay, and that was her business. She was a wealthy woman. She, woman, she was obviously good at what she did. And um, verse 14 we, 14 tell, and 15 tells the story about her, that, that the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. We, we can't save people. We can teach them the word of God. We can share the word of God with them, but we can't save them. That's God's job. He's the only one that, that can save people. He's the only one that can change people's hearts. And we frequently quote uh, Proverbs 21.1. That the heart of the king is as channels of water and the Lord moves it where he wills. He is the one that, that moves people's hearts and can get them to change. And she and her household believed and they were baptized. 
And I, I skipped something intentionally in verse 13. We'll come back to that in a minute. The second, the second convert was a young slave girl. She was filled with a demon. And she would follow Paul and, and Silas as they were preaching and said, and she would yell, these men are bondservants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. Yeah, what's wrong with that? That's the truth, right? Absolutely. But it was the devil doing it for his own gain because he knew if he could tell the truth one place, the next time he said something, they might believe and he could tell them a lie. And then he could drag them away from the truth. So although what she was saying was true, Satan had his own purposes and, and, and goals and, and trying to tear down through that process. And finally, after several days, Paul had enough and said, Spirit, leave her. And the demon left her. And the magistrate, or the, the people that were, verse 19, her master saw that their hope of profit was gone because they used this young girl to make money by telling the future. She wasn't demon-possessed anymore. She wasn't going to be able to do that. They were ticked. They were getting rich off of this girl. They brought them, they dragged them into the marketplace and when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, these men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews and proclaiming customs that are not lawful for us to observe, being Romans. So they're, they're playing a, a, a kind of a race card, a religious card. They're, they're, they're causing, you know, they want to, they're, they're ticked, they're mad. And they, and they outright lie to the magistrates. They didn't tell the magistrates that they threw the demon out of her and, or that Jesus did. Let's see. Um, verse 18, Paul said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. Christ, again, is by whose name we are saved, is, is also in the name of Christ that the demon was thrown out of the young girl. And so they, they, they lied to the authorities. They didn't tell them the truth. The crowd, verse 22, the crowd rose up against the men. Verse 23, they inflicted many blows upon them. They threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into prison and fastened their feet in stocks. That wasn't a comfortable thing, especially with their, their backs having been beaten. They were probably forced, depending on how the stocks were set up, but they were probably forced to lay on their backs that had just been beaten. Okay, what did I skip? Hmm. Verse 13. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to a riverside where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer. There wasn't a synagogue there. We talked about that because there wasn't at least 10 Jewish men, so they couldn't have a synagogue in Philippi. So they went where they supposed that there would be a place of prayer down by the river. When people come here, what do you suppose they're supposing? Are they supposing that this is a place of prayer? Are they supposing that this is a place where the name of Jesus Christ is proclaimed, is, is exalted? We've talked about this. What does Satan hate the most? When the name of Jesus is exalted. When he is proclaimed, when he is set forth, and that's what's going on here. Satan's not happy. So he gets these guys to get the 
the authorities in town to beat them and throw them in prison, thinking that that'll solve their problem. Although they know that the, unless the demon comes back into the girl, they're not going to have her to make money off of anymore. So they're in prison. Satan's not liking it. And it's about ready to get worse for Satan here. It's midnight. It's midnight in the prison. Verse 25, Acts 16, 25. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. They couldn't sleep either, but there were probably some real scoundrels in there in the prison in Philippi. Turn with me, if you would, to Job chapter 35. They were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening. So what Satan was trying to squalsh didn't happen, didn't work. Because even though they were most likely in severe pain, they still wanted to exalt the name of Jesus Christ. Job 35, verses 9 and 10. Because of the multitude of oppressions, they cry out. They cry for help because the arm is mighty. But no one says, where is God my maker who gives songs in the night? Turn over to Psalm chapter 42 where Stephen read this morning. Not going to reread the whole chapter, but a couple verses here. Draw your attention to Psalm chapter 42. All right, Psalm chapter 42, verse 5, the end of the verse, it says, There is hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. Verse 7, Deep calls to deep at the sound of your waterfalls and your breakers and your waves have rolled over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and his song will be with me in the night. A prayer to the God of my life. Psalm 119. Psalm 119 verses 62 to 64. At midnight I shall rise to give thanks to thee because of your righteous ordinances. I am a companion of all those that fear thee and of those who keep your precepts. The earth is full of your loving kindness, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. Verse 62, again, at midnight I shall rise to give thanks to you because of your righteous ordinances. And one more in Psalm, just a few more pages, Psalm 149. Praise the Lord, sing to the Lord a new song, and his praise in the congregation of the godly ones. Verse 3, let them praise his name with dancing. Let them sing praises to him with timbrel and lyre. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He will beautify the afflicted ones with salvation. Let the godly ones exult in glory. Let them sing for joy on their beds. 
Let the high praise of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. What's a two-edged sword? The words of God. The word of God is the two-edged sword. But let them sing for joy on their beds. I'll write back to Acts 16. Charles Spurgeon said, Any fool can sing in the day. It is easy to sing when we can read the notes by daylight. But the skillful stager is he who can sing when there is not a ray of light to read by. Songs in the night come only from God. They are not in the power of men. And a, a, a quote that I've used before, uh, I keep it right on my computer on a little post-it note. It's been there for several years now. It's going to stay there for a long time. From Paul Tripp, he says that the song that rules your heart sets the agenda for your life. I love that. The song that rules your heart sets the agenda for your life. When you are laying in bed at night and you can't sleep, I know a lot of people say, pray. That'll help you fall asleep. Pray. And that will. But while you're laying there, does a song come to mind? Is there a song in your heart that is the first thing there that, that comes when you're, when you're laying there trying to sleep? And if so, I, I, I hope that it's a prayer of praise to God. When I'm laying there at night and I'm not even praying, but I don't have a heart, I don't have a heart. Sound like, the, is that the tin man? Doesn't have a heart. Uh, I, I don't have a song in my heart that concerns me. I say, Lord, give me the song. <laughs> give me your song. Because if there's no song there, that's not a good thing. But God, give me your song in my heart that I may reflect and praise you even as I'm laying here on my bed. Give me a song. And these fellas had some songs. They weren't lying on their Serta pillow-topped mattresses. These men were in agony and great pain. They were praying and singing hymns of praise to God and the prisoners were listening to them. How cool is that? You've got some experience, John, probably with, with lockups or, or prison cells or whatever. Not that you were on the inside, you were on the outside, but did, did, did you ever hear prisoners singing much? No. And, and, and I'm sure they weren't beaten like these two fellows were. I'm sure they have a, a clean latrine and cable TV and climate-controlled temperature. Paul and Silas didn't have that. Verse 26, And suddenly there came a great earthquake, so that the foundation of the prison house were shaken, 
And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were unfastened. Okay, this is about A.D. 49. And if you, if you do a study or a history back of, uh, of the, the time period, there, there's not like a worldwide earthquake that happened. In fact, there's not even one recorded in the area. And so people say, well, this had to have been a massive earthquake for this to happen. No, it didn't have to be. It could be a very pinpointed earthquake. It was substantial enough, though, because it says there was a great earthquake so that the foundation of the prison house were shaken. That, that, that to any of the prisoners that there would seem like a great earthquake, no doubt. The doors were open and everyone's chains were unfastened. I, I just, that just blows me away and it makes me think that, there was, that the, the Lord was doing more than just the earthquake. And, but I, I know that he, he says here in his word that the earthquake did it, but for all the, the I mean, an earthquake to shake so bad that it shakes the, 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 the bracelets off their hands that they're chained to, that's just amazing. That's amazing. And, and, and some of these commentators that I study, I don't even want to repeat some of the jokes they tried to make because if, if I did, my kids would say, oh, Dad, that's a dad joke. Don't even talk. Don't even share that. Some of them were kind of corny, but, but no, it, there's no indication that the house was brought down, okay? There's no indication that the, the prison collapsed in on them. But God was in charge... And he got the prisoners' attention. But the, the, the reason that I, that I just wonder about the size of the earthquake, verse 27, and when the jailer had been roused out of his sleep, he slept through the earthquake. And I'm assuming that his quarters were fairly close to the prison. But God did what he needed to do in that earthquake. While they're singing and praising him, he opened the doors and he unshackled all the prisoners. That's what he wanted to accomplish. So somebody ran and woke up the jailer, had to shake him awake. Verse 27, they, when the jailer was roused out of his sleep and had seen that the prison door was open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Now, now the numbers are a little skewed today, so it's probably not, not what I was thinking I would share, but on a normal Sunday... The statistics would say that we've probably had a couple people in our congregation just by numbers or statistics that have probably attempted suicide. And, and, and the lesson that we can learn here is stop, don't do it. God can, God can take care of your situation. Don't do it, don't lose hope. It's not the end of the, the, the rope. When I was in the military, there was always a concern when there would be a high-level person in any military branch that committed suicide. And in 1996, um, there was a top Navy admiral. I don't know if he was the admiral that was on the Joint Chiefs of Staff or not. 
but he was accused of wearing a ribbon on, on his rack of ribbons. It was probably about 35 ribbons. Some news reporter picked out that he shouldn't be wearing one of those ribbons, that he was wearing it incorrectly, which is an absolute no-no in the military. You only wear what you're authorized to wear. Well, he had the source documents and he proved it that he was authorized to wear that ribbon. But the news person, whoever it was, wouldn't leave it alone. And so then the Senate started their inquiries and stuff like that. And, and there was talk that they were going to uh, kick, the, kick the general, or it was an admiral, but kick the admiral out. And for somebody that ever reaches that level, the Navy had become his life, okay? He, he could not see life beyond the Navy. And if that was going to be taken from him, life was not worth living. And he committed suicide over a stupid little ribbon, sorry. So all the military went on high alert. And about two weeks later, my boss's boss committed suicide. And they, and they say it's just a, because the, the thought among the ranks is that if the top dogs find that that's the only way out, that must be the only way out. And I, I can't get out of my circumstances. And Paul shouts out to the jailer, stop, don't do it, we're all here. Do not kill yourself. So we, we, we uh, you know, a side lesson to take from this is that there is hope in Jesus Christ, people. There is hope in Jesus Christ. If it's a ribbon or whatever more significant, that you think in your life that worth isn't, life isn't worth living anymore. Wrong. It is absolutely worth living. Because in Jesus Christ, we have hope. Paul cried out, do yourself no harm, for we are all here. The jailer called for lights and rushed in, trembling with fear, and he fell down before Paul and Silas. And he gathered himself, got up, and he brought them out, got Paul and Silas out. Verse 30, sirs, what must I do to be saved? How was he even aware of that term? How did, what, saved? Saved from what? Saved? What are they talking about? Well, there's, they, they knew, obviously, that there was something that these men had that he needed, something that he wanted, that, that, that he could beat them and they could sing and pray to their God and sing praises to him in their, their painful state, bleeding state, laying on the very back that was beaten just hours before. And most likely, if he, if he didn't hear it directly from the young slave girl as she was shouting, these men are bondservants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. If he didn't hear, he, he, he may have heard that directly on the streets. And, and if Paul and Silas had happened to be passing by one day leading up to this. Or it, at the very least, he probably heard it during the, the mock trial. But he says, I need to be saved. What must I do to be saved? 
Oh, I hope I can find it. Yeah, there, good. Psalm, not Psalm, Acts 15, verse 32. Judas and Silas, also being prophets themselves, encouraged and strengthened the brethren with a lengthy message. Paul's message here is very brief and to the point. He did not need a lengthy message to tell the jailer what he needed to hear. Verse 31. They said, Paul and Silas, believe in the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved, you and your household. Now that last week we mentioned that we would address this issue this week um, a couple times before in Acts and, and coming up later on again one more time in the book. It talks about um, the household. I am not a Greek scholar, so I'm going to take the, the commentators that wrote the the books that I study, I'm going to take their word for it. But the way that this would, it would be better translated here. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved, you and your household. A little grammar lesson. If I say Jim and I went to the store, you could say Jim went to the store. And then you could say I went to the store. That's what you need to do here in this verse. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. If your household believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, your household will be saved. That is the better way to understand that. There is no, um, there, there is no the, the head of the house is saved so the whole family knows Jesus and is saved automatically. Um, what's, where's that word? I wrote it down somewhere in here. Oh, there we go. It's called, there, there is no such thing as household salvation. How much easier can you get than that? I shouldn't have even needed to look at that. Household salvation. There's no such thing. And, and whether babies are baptized or not, they're not saved because of that. Okay? We, we have to understand that. But that's, if, if you were to better translate the, the Greek here, it would be, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. And if your household believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, your household shall be saved. They spoke the word of the Lord to, to him together with all who were in his house. Verse 33, he took them that very hour of the night and washed their wounds. And immediately he was baptized, he and his household, all his household, and he brought them into his house, set food before them, and rejoiced greatly, believed in God with his whole household. The word of God was preached to his whole household. His whole household believed, and then his whole household was baptized. But a, a, very, little, a very little thing, but I want you to, to not miss the, the point of it here. He took them the very hour of the night, washed their wounds, and immediately he was baptized. Chriswell, uh, W.A. Chriswell says, Drying tears we have caused, mending hearts that we have broken, washing wounds that we have inflicted. When we see a person who does that, you are looking at a person who has Christ in his soul, 
trying to make amends, trying to redeem. How do, how, how, do, how do people around us know that we're Christians? By our love, by, our, by the love that Jesus lives through us. And when we have wronged somebody, we, we go and we try to correct that wrong. We try to make it right. If somebody does that and doesn't go to make it right, you have room to question their salvation. Now, fortunately, God is the one that sees our hearts, and he is the judge, not you or me. So we don't have to make that decision. Thank you, Lord. That's his job and his responsibility. But the fruit is evident of what the tree is, okay? And so this man, very hour, at that very hour of the night, washed their wounds, and immediately he was baptized. When he washed their wounds, it was evidence of his repentance. It was evidence that he was doing a 180. That he'd been walking away from the Lord and now he was walking towards the Lord. And he brought them into the house and set food before him. This is one of the things that didn't strike me until last night when I was going over my, my notes. He had to get them back into the prison. He took them home. He washed their wounds. He, he bandaged them up. He gave them food to eat. But he had to get them back to the prison because in the morning, if the magistrates came back and they weren't in the prison, there's going to be a problem. Okay? Verse 35, When the day came, the chief magistrates sent their policemen saying, Release those men. So somewhere after all this fellowship and, and praising the Lord and, and having a good meal to eat and having their wounds washed, the guy's got to get them back into the jail. Scripture doesn't say if any of the other prisoners accepted Christ or not. Of course, we'd love to think that some of them did. Probably not all of them. We don't know. But... You, you can't stop at the end of verse 25 from thinking about it. It says, and the prisoners were listening to them. Back to 35. Release those men. 36, the jailer reported the words to Paul, saying, the chief magistrates are sent to release you. Now, therefore, come out and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us in public without trial, men who are Romans, and have thrown us into prison. And now they're sending us away secretly? No, indeed. But let them come themselves and bring us out. The policemen reported these words to the chief magistrates. The magistrates were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. There's speculation. Why didn't Paul use this card beforehand so that they didn't get beaten in the first place? Well, there's thought that maybe he tried. Maybe he yelled it, but the, the, the noise and the ruckus of the, the townspeople drowned him out. Maybe, maybe not. But why is he using it here? If he had used it before, it would have been strictly for his own benefit. But here, and follow the thought through with me, here he's using it for the benefit of the church that he's going to leave behind. The policemen reported that they were afraid and when they heard that they were Romans. They came, the magistrates came, and appealed to them. They, they knew that they had messed up big time. 
When they had brought them out, they kept begging them to leave the city. They didn't want them around if any other, if any other Roman bigwig came through town. They, they wanted them gone. Because they didn't want anybody finding out that they had beaten Roman citizens without a proper trial. Verse 40, they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they saw the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. Again, Lydia, we talked about when, when her heart and her eyes were open to Jesus, she immediately opened her home. It's kind of where the church was meeting. So where do they go when they come out of prison? And, and there's a lot of speculation, though we don't see it in God's word. Uh, it's thought that there's, there's some history that, that um, Josephus wrote uh, that, that the slave girl came to Christ and that she was at Lydia's house as well. There's nothing in God's word that tells us that. That's conjecture or, or tradition or passed down or whatever. And maybe, maybe that morning when, when they were released by the magistrates, maybe even the jailer went. Because when you come to know Christ, you want to spend time in fellowship with other believers, people that are like-minded, people that have the same goals that you have. And, and his, his heart was obviously changed. But you say, why, why, did, they, why, why did he call, why did he pull the, the Roman card now? Because he didn't went, want people to, if they just walked out of town and nobody knew about it, the townspeople say, yeah, they had, what, they had coming what they deserved. But this gave the church the opportunity to start with a clean record, so to speak. That, that, that there was evidence that the magistrates were the ones that let them out of jail, that led them out. That it, was, that, that it was done well and above board. That it wasn't just because there was an earthquake, but that things were done, had not been done orderly, but now were being done orderly. And it, and it gave some respect to the church and put some distance between them and the magistrates. Magistrates weren't constantly peering over the church's shoulder to, to harass them. So it was an opportunity for Paul to pull his Roman card for the benefit of the church. He didn't do it for himself. He did it for the benefit of the church. That it, it, it would help them be grounded and, and have a more solid standing in the community and footing to go forward on. Chapter 16, we've, we've talked about three converts. Lydia, who is the wealthy, the wealthy woman, again, when her heart and her eyes were open to Jesus, she opened her home to the church. There was a young slave girl. She, she had no rights of her own. She, she couldn't do anything. She was owned by these men that were using her for their gain. You think they set a bank account up in her name and were putting money in there that she was earning so that she'd have something for a rainy day? Then you have the, the Philippian jailer. He, he was most likely a Roman. He was most likely a retired army officer. And was at this post just to, to you know, ride off into the sunset, so to speak. So we've got a wealthy woman who was a Asian, from not, not Asia that we think of Asia today, but that, that 
uh, colony of, of Asia. Thank you, Stephen. In this area. The little slave girl was thought that, that she was probably a Philippian. She was a local girl. And we've got the Roman jailer who, who was from Rome. And he's, he's retired, so he's not receiving his full salary, but he's middle class. So you had the rich woman, the middle class jailer, and the poor slave girl. Different backgrounds, different economic statuses. Jesus cared about each one of them. The word of Christ was for each one of them. And, and, and the, whole, the whole lesson here that Luke is sharing with us is that God's love knows no boundaries. It crosses every boundary. He died for all of us. He loved you so much that he sent his only begotten son. Now next week is, is Palm Sunday. Two weeks from today is Easter. And, and we focus on that and celebrate that even more. But Paul and Silas were not afraid to do their time. They were not afraid to stand up for the truth, to stand up for the word of God. And, and as, as Judas and Silas in chapter 15 gave the brethren and strengthened them with a lengthy message, Paul's was quite brief. The jailer said, Sir, what must I do to be safe? And Paul said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved. It's very simple. It's very direct. It's very easy. That we might know Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection. Stand with me if you would.